Hello and welcome to Season 2 of Comics Books, the podcast where your host Lucy Dancer, that's me, talks to my favourite comedians and comic writers about the books they love. My guest today is a comedian I've been lucky enough to see develop into an interesting and incredible performer over the years. A stand-up comedian, clown practitioner and teacher, plus much more, there seems to be no end to her creativity. It is the one and the only Elf Lyons. Hello! We've got there. This is yeah. hearing each other. It's just so it feels so good to be talking to you after all this time. So um, crazy. I mean, the time that we haven't spoken for a while, or the literal time it just took to connect over Zoom. I mean, the literal time it just took to connect. <laughs> well, you know what? We're here now, and it is quite hard in the middle of a pandemic to make uh, a podcast. So I feel like you know, in a way, we're nailing it. We're, we're smashing it. We're being very produ- productive ladies. So productive. <laughs> um, we are here to talk about books, really. But let's like start off in a more, in a more cash manner. Oh, I can't say that. I said cash. Casual I like manner. It. I'm just going to use words properly. In. But I, yes, how are you? I'm really good. I am weirdly, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit like caffeinated because obviously I've just got back from working at a school and I'd forgotten to pretty much eat properly <laughs> during the day because it went from like lesson to lesson and then doing lunch time duty and then dealing with a student who's claimed this against this and against this and you run around doing all this stuff then you realize you've lost your key card and then by the time I finished school I was thinking why am I so hungry and then <laughs> I naively forgot that we don't make normal coffees anymore in society because my idea of a normal coffee is one shot. And then if you want a strong coffee, you make, you add two shots, but we Mm. don't do that. So when I said, can we have a, can I have a strong coffee? That's three, I think maybe four shots of coffee that was put in my, because I didn't realize they're naturally double shots now. So I got on the, I got on the train back to Kent (laughs) humming up. With that and a panini in my hand, listening to my audio book, going, bloody hell, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) So I come back now and I'm really excited to chat about books, but also sort of, I'm just, I wish I could, I'm so glad I don't teach at this energy because I think it would be terrifying for the students. (laughs) Let's talk about what we are here to talk about. Um, Books. Yeah, no, I've, well, I'm quite proud of this. I was never into Audible, but when at the beginning of lockdown, I got really bad insomnia, Hmm. having awful panic attacks. So I downloaded Audible. And if anyone decides to go, oh, but it's a part of the Amazon thing. How do you feel? Piss off. I'm not in the mood. Um, (laughs) All those of my mates have made money from being able to be booked to be the narrators of books. So they're employing loads of artists, like voice work is integral Mm. at the moment for the creative economy. So if that means buying an audio book helps fund a new work, so be it. But I have amassed, I've listened to over 500 hours of audio books. What have you been listening to? I would just listen to absolutely everything and anything i tried to tick off some absolute essentials as in i listened to the see the sea by iris murdoch mm-hmm. i listened to salman rushdie's the satanic verses um touching the void was one that i was recommended 
um, because of how visceral it is and that gripped me. Uh, I loved that. That was, and also it's sort of about balancing the really big tomes and mm. the quite short books. Yeah. And as auditory. <laughs> yeah. And your are She, she was furious at that, but uh, yes. Yeah, she, loves, she loves audible. <laughs> She just loves it. She actually, she's gone for a casting to read the new version of Lassie. Uh, I listen to that. <laughs> I would actually buy that. <laughs> and if it was at Amazon level prices to hear a dog just narrate, this is Lassie by Penguin, read by Buster. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm, I mean, I'm really dyslexic and I can read, I couldn't read till I was 10. So when I finally learned to read, and I mean, I could, I can read now. Like I read about two, three, what well, used to be four books a week pre-COVID. Now yeah. with Audible and um, PGTE and not having any other hours in the day, it's about two to three. Mm. Um, but I think people, I think that is an old fashioned, quite didactic idea of what education yeah. is. Because that, you know, they've heard from either a parent when they were younger, or they've heard that from a teacher, or they heard that misguided piece of information from someone they admired. And then they've never really questioned it. Because anyone who actually says that as well, I wonder, have you ever heard an audiobook? And have you listened mm. to one? Not when you're on the brink of falling asleep. Are there some books that you prefer? on audio and you prefer to read yourself really I think it really depends because you don't know do you because I haven't read a book and then gone I'm going to listen to this on audible Mm. and I haven't listened to a book on audible and gone I'm now going to read this I sort of I've reused them as reference points yeah I mean I really like horror is something I really enjoy so I do enjoy listening to it okay I, I enjoy being uh, it also depends who the narrator is I think to be honest because it's not just about what story you're listening to it's how you're being told that story yeah and I think if you have a really good storyteller you it doesn't really matter like for example Helen Duff who you know who's a, like mm. a beautiful comedian and we did um a show about Leonora Carrington together last year called oh I'm yeah like, who we'll talk about a bit we'll talk about later who um I really missed her over lockdown because she's one of my closest friends and I really, I love her. And she does loads of audiobooks, and she reads these series of books called Red Sister, like the book of the ancestor by Mark Lawrence. And my God, they are not my books. They are not <laughs> me. She does all the voices. She does all the accents. And I bought wow. it purely because I was really, I, mean, I was homesick for my friend. And going to bed at night and listening to her do all these voices felt oh, really, so really sweet. Awesome. I told this to her and she was like, you're so fucking creepy. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, for me, there are certain people who like, oh, my goodness, Jenny Agatha. Have you heard Jenny Agatha no. read After the Castle? No. Okay, now that is one of the best the best narrations of a story. She makes I Capture the Castle because that was how I first read that book by listening. Yeah. To and I Capture the Castle is one of your, on your list, it's one of your top reads. One of my top reads. It's one of the most beautiful stories about a, about development, about child, that, that weird m- movement from childhood to adulthood. Mm. And also what love and loyalty means and a really interesting 
all the characters are fully formed as in every character you could write an essay on analyzing them there's no character you just feel there's a bit part they all hold their own mm. and Dodie Smith is, I think, famous for she rewrote every single sentence until it was perfect. Wow. And I do believe it is, it's one of those books that I can't wait to give to either a niece or a nephew or my own, my own child if I were to have one. Hmm. And it really, I listened to it at the beginning of lockdown when I was just walking around a lot trying to sort of cope with everything. And the journey that those, the sisters go on in that book is very relatable even though it's the most archaic um scenario that they're in like these two women who are basically living in poverty in a castle Mm. with their crazy art house stepmother topaz and their father who's clearly suffering with some form of post-traumatic stress after getting out of prison there's like a really fit gardener They've got a really smart little brother who you don't see until right at the end. And you're like, oh, actually, there's a really interesting choice on why you don't hear much about him, mm. which is then, which is another layer to why Dodie Smith's book is so good. When it's did you really, first listen to it or read it? It must have been about nine, ten. Because I, okay. really, I could listen to audiobooks. Because mm. if I listened to them, I sort of knew what was going on. Yeah. Um, and then at the beginning of lockdown, when I got Audible, I thought, I really wanted a book that I could trust. Mm. So there were two books I got. I Capture the Castle. I found the Jenny Agatha reading and was so thrilled because it also felt very nostalgic and it felt really safe, which was what I wanted. And then Charmed Life by Diana Wine-Jones or Diana Wynne-Jones. I never quite know how to say it. Um, and it's read by Tom Baker. Oh, Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And it is so wicked it's so everyone bangs on about harry potter the christomancy series by diana Wynne jones is phenomenal i do read the whole series i read the whole series i don't know why they have not been made into a tv series or a film series i don't think it would really be possible i would happily buy the rights but they Mm. are wicked like charmed life as a standalone book is wicked and it's quite dark it's so good. Do you find rereading kids' books now is helpful for, for your work? Yeah, because you're trying to find, um, you know, one way of getting the students involved, for example, is you can read a book out loud and you get them to act out the action that's happening. Which is yeah. quite a good way, especially if you've got students who don't speak English as a first language or, you know, who have delayed development. Mm. slowly introduces them to the world of theatre slowly introduces them to the power of what story is Mm. they can then copy each other so they're not left on their own copying is incredibly important in education anyway um so I enjoy reading books going what because I mean where I am and this is quite common books like the little princess are on the syllabus and you think how many seven-year-old boys do you know or how many 11-year-old girls now would really connect with The Little Princess? Mm. Is that, have there been any upgrades with sort of additions? I don't know. It really depends on the different, I think, different schools and their attitude to books. But you sort of think, like, when you're 11 or 12, you want something a little bit, a little bit, oh, you know. Well, you know. also the world is different now, so... Of, of, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with reading 
classics, I think we should read classics. But I also think that personally as a reader, I haven't read that many classics because they're not the things that connect with me. What connects with me is seeing what other people are making up the world around us. And there's also nothing like, as you said, it's your choice. Like now over lockdown, I went, I want to read the classics. Like the other day, I yeah. went, I'd like to read The Hound of the Baskervilles because I've not read any Sherlock Holmes. I don't particularly have an interest. <laughs> I should give it a go. Yeah. I'm going to read Jeeves and Worcester because I, everyone bangs on about how great they are. But allowing myself to have that choice. But if someone had told me, you read this book. But mm. actually, that's like my primary school. We weren't allowed to, allowed to read American literature. So I was, and I had such problems reading. And the mm. only book I liked were the R.L. Stein Goosebumps books. Uh, do you know you... what? Everyone, almost everyone is bringing up Goosebumps or Point Horror. Oh, they're so good. Have you watched him on Masterclass? Not yet, no. Oh it's God, on my list. It's, not, it's so funny. He, he talks like this. He's like, <laughs> oh, I, I, write, I write a book. Um, I, uh, I come up with a title, like Say Cheese and Die. I think that's a that's a great title. I'll write that. De- well, he's gone Australian now. I'll write that. <laughs> yeah, I'm ro- he goes, people say <laughs> look, he's just gonna be Australian. <laughs> he was like Brooklyn, and then he kind of yeah, he was Brooklyn. went Boston way, and then he just popped to Sydney. I guess I don't know Australian accents that well. But anyway, I can't remember what the point was. Oh yeah, the point is like R.L. Stein, he's wicked. Just let kids what read what they read. <laughs> I guess like the grown-up version of him is Stephen King. And it's interesting because one, he's like one of my heroes, but two, you were talking about, you know, when people talk about R.L. Steiner's on point books going, oh, well, they're not really books. Mm. He gets described as like the French fries of American literature, which is meant as like an offensive, like as a diss. But in some ways, I think he rides it in his stride. Stephen Um, King. Yes, Stephen King. It is a compliment because people do sort of look down on his writing and um and the fact he's popular but also the fact he writes a about in a form that people often look down upon which is horror i i think he's a badass you've just been reading have you been reading misery or i totally made that no no you have so i don't really read with the exception of you know when i was younger and point horror and stuff i i I don't read horror i don't read i read thrillers and that's Mm -hmm. like psychological thrillers Mm-hmm. Um, almost all I realized the other day while I, when I was discussing it with my dad, almost everything I read is, is female based, very much sort of family or friendship group based psychological thrillers. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stephen King, I have never really fancied. And then a lot of people, a lot of friends really like him. And I felt you couldn't really have an opinion if you hadn't read anything. Mm-hmm. And Stuart Goldsmith chose... <laughs> As one of his significant books, he chose all of Stephen King's books. Um, and I hadn't, I didn't even read it for that. But then for you, I thought, well, I can't put it off anymore. I will, I will go with it. And Misery, you chose Misery, but it was also the one that I thought, I, I did see the film years ago, years and years and years ago. And so I thought, mm, really good film. So I thought, you know, yeah, I, I've got a basis of understanding here. I'm halfway through. What do you think? I'm enjoying it. This is really it. exciting for me. It's weird. It feels like being a Stephen King virgin is really abnormal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's special. Like, it's special. It is. So I'm not finding it as compelling as sort of the normal sort of thriller I would read. 
but maybe that's just because misery's been around for such a long time and i know you know setup. yeah yeah that's the thing when i you don't know. remember the ending so that's fine i mean i really did watch the film years ago so i really don't remember the ending what i really love about it is i actually don't read it so much as a horror it's terrifying and i knew what was going on and because yeah. of that i could i genuinely remember because i read it i think in a couple of nights and after i finished it i was frightened to go to the bathroom and i knew my flat and i knew annie wilkes wasn't there but i was really scared because there was something about it but it's also it's an exploration of what it means to be a writer. So Paul Sheldon, that's I think, the bit I love the most. Comes to life through his, especially when he discusses with Annie. I'm not sure if they've had any conversations yet about the art of writing. Yeah, so but, we've had the beginning one with the Deus Ex Machina and her being like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so he's. I think it's really beautiful and powerful for that reason because I think that in line with on writing his other book about writing this is a book about what it means to be a writer and the responsibility you have mm. to respect your readers and yes. not fuck them over with some crappy endings, which is funny because it's actually what Stephen King tends to get criticized for because he doesn't plan his books. And I right. think he's gotten older. It becomes more and more evident that he doesn't because they always start so strong and they take always in that final like final 100 pages a really obscene turn i would actually recommend rose madder by him Ooh, i would recommend it. that one it's it's one of his lesser known ones it's because i think people always focus on how his characters when we focus on on stephen king and we focus on the women he writes people always mention gerald's game which mm-hmm. is the one that turned into yeah. well, that's the one people focus on but rose madder is very dark and I think it shows that he really does, for, I think he, he loves women, he respects women, and he really understands, he really respects the female reader. Flowers for Algernon. Is it Algernon or Algernon? I say Algernon, but it's probably Algernon. I mean, everyone says, it, this is the thing someone says, never take the mick out of the way someone says a word, because if they say it wrong, it means they learnt it from reading a book. Yeah, yeah, I heard that all day for the first time. I thought it was lovely. I have never read this book, but I've heard lots about it. But this is the first time I've actually bothered looking at what it's about. And I thought it sounded really interesting. It's, oh God, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it, alongside I Capture the Castle and Misery by Stephen King, I would say it's a masterpiece. It is. I remember reading it in, this is going to sound very wanky. I was in Normandy with a beautiful boyfriend called Arthur. And I will name him because I owe a lot to him in regarding introducing me to beautiful books. But we would, it was just the two of us. And we, I found this book down like the back of a book cupboard, a book cupboard, a bookshelf um, that his dad and mum had. And I had no idea what the book was about. And it said it won the Hugo Award. And it's written from 1958. Mm. And I read it in a day. I just read it, couldn't put it down. Very, very easy to read. It just flows through you. I would say, I would actually say this book you have to read. You can't listen to it. You have to read it because it's diary entries. Okay. And it's about a young bloke called Charlie who is defined in the book as retarded. Now we'd obviously say has delayed development, learning difficulties, but in the time that was what he was called. Um, and he's referred to as such throughout and mm. he's 
he's very happy like happy and joyful and desperate to be clever desperate to be clever that's all he wants and he's got all these friends at the bakery and he has the same job and he's looked after and he goes to this special school for learning and his life and this is how he views it mm. and you read it and you see it from a different light because uh, you as an adult can analyze and the spellings all over the shop and the words don't quite make sense and the grammar's all over the place mm. but he had this operation that is sort of the, i'm not going to give away he has an operation and this operation obviously doesn't exist, but flowers for Algonon. Algonon is the name of a, of a mouse that is in a maze. And Algonon has the same operation that Charlie has. And they sort of, and Algonon and Charlie sort of, you know, there's a, li- there's a link about symbolically what they both represent in society. Mm. And this operation causes Charlie's intelligence to increase. And every chapter, his words his development, his diary entries, things start to move forward. And with that becomes, you read the development of someone's mind and what it means to be intelligent. Mm. Um, There's no, for me, there's never really been a book quite like it because there are a few, there are only a handful of books, I think, in your life. You suddenly remember them so much or that you gift to people. There are very few books you go, I buy this. And Actually, it made me a really good friend at a wedding. I went to a wedding like recently, about two years ago. (laughs) There was a bloke there, and I think we were both pissed off that there wasn't a free bar. Mm. And um, he was doing his PhD at at Lancaster. We were chatting away. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'm really interested in science fiction. I'm actually developing about the edge, um, how morality is explored in science fiction. I was like, oh, well, you've probably not heard of it. I mean, or maybe you have. I don't know. But have you read Flowers for Algonon? And he literally lost his shit. Went, oh, my God, Flowers for Algonon. And his girlfriend went, you've made him so happy. He went, that's what my whole PhD thesis is on. He's like, it's like the absolute epitome of what morality is with our viewpoints of education, the education system, and what, edu- and what knowledge is. And was, oh, my God, I can't believe you no one's read it <laughs> and we just ended up going yeah and there's no free bar <laughs> we're just chatting talking about this book but you know that was morality free bar kind yeah. of the same thing kind of the same yes oh my yeah. god people who do not have free bars at weddings or do not even offer a couple of free drinks at the beginning or put uh-huh. more than a bottle of wine on the table how dare they not, yeah how how dare why you? are you even getting married how dare you big john <laughs> Change your name slightly because you won't hear this podcast, but I want you to know I'm referencing you. You've absolutely sold that to me. I, you know, I've, I've heard it's one of those books that has gone down in kind of popular culture. You hear it all the time and you mm-hmm. see it referenced in things. But until just now, I had no idea what it was even about. It's just become kind yeah. of background noise, I think. Uh, and your, your final book, I had never heard about at all. And it sounds weird leonora carrington the hearing trumpet yes so leonora carrington is one of the loves of my life and the hearing trumpet has an array of some of my favorite sentences of all time so one of the sentences in it is people under 70 and over seven are very unreliable if they are not cats um and it just has these beautiful sentences in it. Like you may not believe in magic, but something very strange is happening at this very moment. Your head has dissolved into thin air and I can see the rhododendrons through your stomach. It's not that you are dead or anything dramatic like that. It is simply that you are fading away and I can't even remember your name. Um, it's, 
it's really oh and this one i'll read this one well because uh, i was getting a few quotes up that i thought convey the beauty of it houses are really bodies we connect ourselves with walls roofs and objects just as we hang on to our livers skeletons flesh and bloodstream i am no beauty no mirror is necessary to assure me of this absolute fact nevertheless i have a death grip on this haggard frame as if it were the limpid body of venus herself oh um that's lovely. So Leonora Carrington was a surrealist artist. She was very young when she ran away from her family from Lancaster. Lancaster or Lancashire? Um, they ran a cotton mill. They were quite wealthy, but she, they wanted her to be a debutante. She didn't want to be a debutante. She wanted to be an artist, so she ran away to France. She used to, like, cut off her hair and make these weird mustard omelettes with her hair in it. You know, she used to cover her feet in mustard and wear it to a party. She was just a proper, you know, she was a proper little exciting first manic pixie dream girl as all mm. the font as the surrealists called them in that time. And she was really into animals, alchemy, myths and symbolism and she saw herself as sort of like this wild horse slash, uh, what's it called? Hyena. Those were sort hmm. of personalities. And she had these really beautiful friends. When she moved to Mexico, she had a beautiful friend called Remedio Savara, who was another amazing symbolic artist. And they used to write love letters to each other. And Remedio Savara used to write letters to strangers all around the world, pretending to be different fictional characters. So she'd just pick an address and she'd say, Dear John, I saw that you've been kidnapped. And uh, they were very, very good friends. And the he the hearing trumpet was written years later in her life, and it's about aging and the female body. And I think it is one of the first books we that is known that really does follow the centre character is an old woman. Mm. It gives the presenta- presentation of old women don't just want to lay down and die. And basically her friend gives her a hearing trumpet so she can hear. And so she uses it and she realises that her grandchildren are going to send her off to an old person's home because they think she's useless. And she's like, oh, okay. So she gets sent to this old person's home, which is not really, it's like a sort of mythical, it's all women. <laughs> There's like a goddess it's like lots right. of mag- magical wolves at some point. Her friend tries to save her, I think, through submarine at some point. Or maybe I think that's a true story. Actually, her great, her nanny helped rescued her from a, in a submarine from the institution that she was sent to, the psychiatric home that she oh. was sent to during the war. So really interesting sort of story. And it was basically, and it's all about the sort of spirit of sisterhood. So these women joining together, is there a murder? Is something going to go on? The psyche and female identity and this idea that these women are deemed as being worthless. And then they get sent off to this sort of absolute mad cat, um, which it makes me with the descriptions of the building makes me think of, you know, the amazing uh, cathedral in Barcelona. I can't mm. remember the, the architect, Gaudi. Gaudi. Gaudi, it makes you sort of imagine Gaudi had designed this place where these characters are living. And the quotes in it that are the idea about the way we love the female form and what does femininity mean Mm. and what female identity. It's quite powerful. And especially so many books that we read are with like, Sally is 32 and lives in a small studio flat in London. Her (laughs) Her boyfriend Paul has left her. 
then suddenly one day she stops blogging and her life takes a change. This is the story for every girl that's ever lived in London and has had financial support. And then that book is known as The Voice of the Generation. This girl is writing like Nora Ephron. This is for all women everywhere. And you're thinking, no, it's not. Um, this is just alienating. I think the hearing trumpet, because it's so surrealist and so out there, but also so specific about what happens in so many ways to so many women in mm. that they become invisible and they become grotesque to the outside eye. They're just ostracized and they only have each other to rely on. I find that incredibly relatable because that's something that we will inevitably have to accept. At one point, we will not be these young you know, lively creative. We will have these bodies, like she says, these beautiful houses, these architecture that we must respect and love as our own. Mm. It's just a barrel of laughs. And <laughs> if you have a highlighter when you read it, you'll end up highlighting any. It's the type of book that one day someone from Etsy will read and go, oh my God, I can totally put these on coasters. Honestly, like she, there's going to be so many like tea towels with a quote going, don't eat animals. They're so difficult to chew anyway, which is one of the quotes in the book. But I'm terrible because the minute you said that, I'm like, you know what? This is a vegetarian household. Maybe I will get that tea towel. Immediately, immediately I'm sold and it doesn't even exist yet. See? You start business on Etsy. <laughs> you might as well. You'll get suckers like me being like, oh, I've not even read the book, but that quote really speaks to me. It's like one of the lines, darling, stop being philosophical. It doesn't suit you. It makes your nose red. Again, solved. Well, before we, before we stop talking today, we wanted to give a bit of love to independent bookshops. Yes. And you chose? The Seven Oaks Bookshop. Is that where you're living at the moment? No, not where I'm living, but it was the first, it was the independent bookshop on my road when I was little. And it was where I used to go and get all my books. And it's where I bought my audio cassette for Charmed Life. And it was still open during lockdown. And I went in there and bought a book on birds. And it felt really good to see that it's still going, um, still going strong. And um, I mean, I haven't been there in so long. I mean, Mm. Uh, a few months ago the customer service seemed great so you know it's always so upsetting when you have such positive memories and then someone someone goes oh my god have you been back there it's awful (laughs) but um it really makes you upset but I loved it when I went back and it's just um yeah it's a place that holds a lot to me and you know try not to order from I mean waterstones and foils I suppose are fine but try and avoid ever ordering a book off Amazon if you can because audible and audiobooks are slightly different but they're sort of a different beast um for from for creative reasons but there are far more ethical ways of buying books to support authors well also we've had a lot of uh London centric suggestions on the show so I think having having a one out in Kent you know if listeners are out there I would say now with Christmas coming up particularly independent bookshops have just gone through a second lockdown where they've really had to push to sort of sell 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 in a different way and when I spoke to the lady that works at ours she was saying you know there's even though people are buying now it's not it's not a bad time for bookshops because people are buying for Christmas you know there was a, a real fear that there might be an issue in in distribution in getting the books in time for Christmas and everyone would go in a different direction so you know if they do have the book that you're looking to gift someone in your local bookstore, I think now is a fantastic time to support that rather than going in an online direction. Totally. 
You've just got to give love, buy properly, support the authors, buy from a good shop. Because if you, every time you order it in, you're really helping. You're, you, and if you like a re, re, or an author, encourage your friends to buy their books because then their publisher will go, well, your number's going up. Maybe we'll let you get right and give you some money to write another book because writing books is not a financially stable business no 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 it is not we have to stop i mean i feel like we could probably continue because we're both just nerding out a little bit but it's been delightful thank you so much for talking about books with me babe thank you so much for um thank you thank you so much for listening to this episode of comics books Hopefully you've had a chuckle, learned something new, and most importantly, added some reads to your list. You can find full listings of all the books we talked about today in the show notes. If you enjoyed the podcast, it'd help us out massively if you could leave us a review on your listening platform. And finally, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Comics Books Pod.